Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Tom Moon on the show. Tom is the history and culture coordinator for In-N-Out and is known as In-N-Out's official historian. If you grew up in California like I did, you probably have very distinct memories from this most famous California fast food restaurant. This was such a fun conversation where we covered everything from the history of the restaurant, the invention of radios that powers drive-throughs, the creation of the animal-style menu, and much, much more. Tom is such an amazing resource and so wonderful to talk to. Please enjoy our conversation. So, Tom, how'd you get started with In-N-Out Burger? So I had, I'd never heard of In-N-Out Burger. I had a friend that, that worked there and he said, hey, they're looking for somebody. And, and in those days, that's how you got the job. You knew somebody that worked there and, and he was a good worker. And they're thinking, well, people you hang around with would be good workers too. And a- after my first day, the manager says, hey, would you like a burger? And I go, no, that's okay. And he goes, well, they're free. I said, well, that's cool. And he said, what would you like? I said, hey, a cheeseburger plane would be great. And they said, you sure went like a double-double? I go, that'd be amazing. And that was my burger on my first day of work. And I will tell you, it's a great job for going to school. So I was a senior in high school and worked all through college. And they wrap your hours around the work schedule. So you're able to make good money. And there's days when I didn't have a whole lot of money in my pocket. And I go, oh, I'm working today. I'm good. So so it's it's an amazing job to have in, in school. And we have a lot of kids that you know, work all through college and stuff and some stay and some don't, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous job. We're going to discuss some of the details of the history as we go along, but I wanted to give you just an opportunity to talk about how In-N-Out has changed. One of the things that makes In-N-Out great is that it in some ways is the same, but there are changes maybe in operations or the back end that listeners would be curious to hear about. Yeah, there's dramatic changes, but the burger, fries, and drinks have not changed. A few of the drinks have changed, but everything else has remained the same. When I worked for for In-N-Out in the 70s, you had to memorize the orders, the cooks would. So all the way up until the mid-70s, and then we started going with, with tickets, with paper where we write down the orders, but everything was in your head. So, you know, just picture you've got a back lane that has two speakers, you have a front lane that has two speakers, and and then you have the customers at the window. So that's a potential of six orders that you have to keep in your head. And the managers cooked. If you couldn't memorize the orders, you weren't going to be a store manager. So I'm sure there's some that were really good people, but for whatever reason, they didn't have a good memory and, and they're no longer, you know, they weren't, weren't able to stay with the company. The training has changed dramatically. Before it was just the manager passing along the training. When I come back, we've got checklists, we've got tests, we've got videos, we've got manuals. All the training had changed and now we have e-learning and you know the associates have their own uh, file that they can kind of judge on how they want to move their career. So each, each level you move up, there's a pay raise, but there's tasks that you need to complete to get to that. So, so they can pretty much manage their career. The quality has always been important and that's remained the same. It's got better with equipment. So we have the same burger, but it's and the same fries, but it's better. We've changed some of the some of the things over the years, like the potatoes used to be Kennebec 
for many years and it's a really good frying potato. And now we use chip stock, which they make potato chips out of. So, so it's a really good taste. If they're cooked right, they taste amazing. But yeah, some is, a lot's changed, but from a customer st standpoint, you know, not much has changed. Yeah. So when I walk into an In-N-Out today, or if I walked in in 1981, at least what I'm getting across the counter will be mostly the same. Tastes the same. Yeah. 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 And that's in, in part, I think why people are attached to In-N-Out is that it, you, you know exactly what you're going to get at every location. And how did you, how did you become uh, the uh, historian of In-N-Out Burger? What so when I came back, it took me a couple of years to get to be a store manager, which I thought I could get there quicker. But, you know, knowing what I know now, that's, that's really, really quick getting there. I was a manager for a number of years and then a divisional manager for nine years. Can I yeah. pause you real quick? How, how long yeah. does it typically take someone to become a store manager that, that works at your um, company? Typical manager is six to 10 years Okay, to, to get there. Okay. So I, you start as an associate and then six to 10 years, that's, you know, that's kind of the average time. Yeah. Yeah. I would say 10 years is probably, probably in the, in the average range. So there's, there's a lot to learn and you know, the carry started paying the managers where they split profits. So the managers, you know, they, they run it like they own it. So, so we have, we have terrific managers, we have really good managers, but Lindsay wanted to do a ride along uh, in 2008 and she had taken over officially in 2010, but and her dad died in 1999 and she was only 17 years old. And so she, so she, I, and she was on burger television. We have a monthly DVD that goes out to the store that just keeps people, you know, up to date on what's going on. As a company gets bigger, how do you keep a big company small? And the reason, the way you do that is you communicate as, in as many ways as you can. So she said, hey, I'd love to do a ride-along with you. And I said, how many divisional managers have you done ride-alongs with? She said, you'd be the first. And I go, what if I screw it up? She said, you're not going to screw it up. I go, Lindsay, what do you want to do? And she said, just take me to your stores, get me a caramel macchiato at some point, And I think we're good. I said, okay, I think <laughs> I can do that. So I, I had, I think I had nine stores and she was on burger television. So it's like showing up with a celebrity. Everybody wanted to take her picture and stuff. And she was really kind on that. And I, I asked her, I said, what's your plans? And she said, well, right now I'm just working around the different departments. And uh, she said, I changed the oil in your car. And I said, really? She said, yeah, I like cars and I need to go to accounting next. I don't know a lot about accounting, but their job's important to them. If their job's important to them, it needs to be important to me. I'm thinking, wow, she's going to do great. And she has. She's done spectacular. Oh, I, oh and the question on the, on the official historian. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was talking a lot about training. I love training. And, you know, we have a logo that says uh, in our training department, training is our future. You can solve a lot of problems with good training. And so we spent the whole time and I talked just a lot about the training we were doing in the division. And the next week, the president calls and he says, hey, need you to talk. And I went in to talk and, and he says, hey, Lindsay uh, wants you to go into the train department. So I went into the train department and uh, took over. E-learning was just brand new. Uh, I'd had, we had the learning management system, but that's it. So so I, I put a few people on and, and Dan Gimlet populated it with, with tests and electronic checklists. And then we started doing videos and stuff, but it was kind of a blank slate. And then we're getting pretty far out from our founding. 
and we've got 50 year people that are walking out the door and 45 year people. And I, I told my boss, I said, Hey, other companies have, you know, history and culture directors. And it takes a long time to get your culture. You can lose it quick. And you've seen that with some, some places where they, they, they had a good culture and then they lost it. And I had somebody in mind and Lindsay goes, I don't know. And my boss talked to her and said, I don't know him, but see if Tom would want to do it. And I go, wow, I didn't see that coming. So that's been the last six years. That's what I've been doing. And it's, it's an amazing job. It's a really good job. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously preaching to the choir a little bit as a history podcast producer, you know, I think a lot about, about how, you know, understanding what came before really informs how you choose to live now. And so I think maintaining culture and something as consistent as In-N-Out Burger, it would require you to constantly revisit kind of first principles and those kind of values that have followed the chain throughout its history. And speaking of its history, I want to go back to the beginning. Can you describe Baldwin Park for those who've never been there? So Baldwin Park was really rural. It's, it's 18 miles east of L.A. And at that time, there was a four-lane highway going through it. There were no freeways in 1948. The 10 freeway came through in 1954. But there was a lot of family farms, and West Covina and Covina, that's not too far from here, were citrus, a lot of orange groves, and just not a whole lot going on. Now, California was a car culture, so I think one of the reasons that Harry wanted to locate in California was in 1950, there were 10 and a half million people living in California and there were 25 million cars. So, you know, double the cars, more than double the cars for population. And, you know, the number one form of entertainment in those days was drive-in theaters. And in Baldwin Park, we had six near store number one. And if you were working you know, especially Friday and Saturday night, you know, that light turns green and you better be throwing buns down and get ready to throw meat down because you're going to be busy. So they let out uh, around midnight. We're open till 1.30 on the weekends. And so, you know, we get a lot of business from just the drive-in theaters in the early days. That's fascinating. I didn't think about the connection between drive-in theaters and drive-through restaurants and how they're kind of uh, symbiotic in some ways. That's that's fascinating. Can you describe the first lot uh, where the first uh, In-N-Out Burger was? I I yeah. you know I remember we talked about a little bit about the strange shape, but it was it's had this interesting triangle shape, but that triangle, was perfectly yeah. fitted for the restaurant. And I there's actually one in I think it's East Pasadena that kind of has a similar kind of like right off the road, and you kind of yeah. slide through at an angle. Do you know the restaurant I'm talking about? Yeah, Pasadena. That's store five. That's the oldest store in the original location for us. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't the, it was built in 1952. And it's built a lot of other internet. So it's the, it only has three parking places in that. And yeah, it does a lot of business. But yeah, the one on, Gar, on Garvey, it was Garvey Avenue. It was a four-lane highway in Francisquito. Francisquito is still here. Our store is the third one, third number one that was built. It's on Francisquito. But it was kind of a triangular lot. The drive-through was right on Garvey Avenue, the main highway. And they had in back, they had some picnic tables and, you know, it was a, it was a single lane drive through and the, the window was on the shotgun side. And a lot of people have asked why on that side. And one of the nicknames for our stores is fishbowl. Uh, we have big windows. We we're proud of the way we prepare our food and we're not afraid to show it where most restaurants you go to, you don't even see the kitchen, but ours is right in view. And 
And going on the shotgun side was the easiest way that you could see the burgers being prepared. So we think, and they had those big bench seats in those cars, so you could slide over if you wanted to. But yeah, we were the first to have the uh, speaker. And best we can figure is we had it in July of 49. And Tom Evans is the first employee then and out. They called him helpers in those days. He's 97. He's still around. And we're friends. Wow. And I, I asked him, he started in April of 49. I said, what'd you do before speakers? He said, well, you just stick your head out the window and say, hey, what do you want? Or you do hand signals or go out there. It wasn't that busy in those days. But um, yeah, in fact, he said a lot of people would stop at the speaker, even though there was no car at the window, just for the novelty of using the, the speaker. Yeah, let's talk about Harry Snyder because he's the creator of all of these kind of innovations in the speakers, but also in thinking through the restaurant. Now, can you talk about what led him, his path uh, to opening uh, a burger restaurant? Yeah, he actually grew up in the Seattle area. Uh, he moved there when his dad immigrated from Holland. And when Harry was two, they moved to Seattle. And then when Harry was nine, they moved to Santa Monica. And Harry went to high school and stuff there, later got in the service. And during that time, he, he did food service stuff as, as a kid. He grew up during the Depression, just trying to raise money any way he could. And after he got out of the Army, he started a box lunch business up in the Seattle area. And that's how he met Esther. She was working at a restaurant in Fort Lawton. And he was delivering box lunches. You know, a Navy ship would pull in, he'd sell 1,000, 1,500 lunches. Esther, Esther said he had just had boxes and boxes and boxes. And she met him when he was dropping some off. And they fell in love in 47 and got married in 48. Started in a burger in 1948. Well, and I, I often think about this, you know, whether... Harry would have continued working in and out burger if he'd patented his, his radio system that had oh my, proliferated yeah. across the country. So in some ways, I'm kind of grateful that he didn't become, you know, probably a, a billionaire, you know, just based on radio patents and continued to make hamburgers because I benefited later in life. Why do you think he didn't take out a patent? They started in and out with $5,000. That'd be like 60000 today. So not a ton of money. And he was down to his last $1,500 when, according to Tom, Tom Evans, went in and out, opened up. And he, the only thing he bought new, Jordan, was the uh, salad table. And he used that to store the ground chuck. We did find the original cold spot, Sears cold spot refrigerator that they use like we use a salad table today to store the meat and the, and the tomatoes and onions and cheese and spread. But they used, he bought the salad table brand new. And uh, everything else was used, and they're down to fifteen hundred dollars when, when they finally opened it in Alberta. So I, I think he was just cash strapped. Yeah, because yeah. he certainly he understood trademarks and copyrights like like animal style, double double protein style. We have we have trademarks and copyrights on all of those. Wow, three three by three, four by four. Let's jump into food and menu. This is kind of a little bit of an obvious question, given what we've been talking about. Why has the menu never changed? Yeah, it hasn't. The only things that's changed is a few drinks and um, everything else has remained the same. And it was pretty much drilled into the sons too, that you're not, you're just not going to change the menu. Uh, I know Rich used to ask, you know, people, Hey, how can, how can we make the In-N-Out Burger better? And it, it, we, I was in a fourth manager's class, which is entry-level manager's class. And, and I said, ah, we could, I think we could do breakfast. We could do an amazing breakfast and that would just add revenue. And he said, I think we're doing fine on, 
on uh, lunch and dinner. <laughs> so, so somehow it was drilled in by by Harry and Lindsay wants to just honor her grandparents. That's what they wanted. So, so I don't I don't see a change in with her either. Yeah, one of the things you notice when you come to an In and Out Burger is the transparency, which I think as people becoming increasingly suspicious of food sometimes you know it can be nice mm -hmm. to to see exactly how it's being prepared i think what the what one of the aspects that mesmerizes me when i look in the kitchen is the guy that throws the potatoes in the i don't i don't even know what's dicer. that machine called is a dicer yeah the potato potato dicer yeah yeah the potato dicer and just to be able to see that he's not grabbing a bag from a freezer, can you discuss ingredients and preparation and how that differs uh, from other fast food restaurants? So we go after quality. And in fact, in where we receive our front quarter chucks in the meat room, there's a big bean that says we accept only quality. And um, they have a saying in the meat room, when in doubt, kick it out. And uh, if they don't like it, it gets, it gets sent back. Um, and they don't even need a reason. And every, every, every week we send you know, 40 or 50 checks back, but the quality is, is super important. And I know there's a story that Tom Evans told me I'd never heard before. And some guy had built a steakhouse across the street from in and out and he let his customers know that he was going to put in and out out of business. And we're not even open a year and Harry's working seven days a week and sleep deprived, I'm sure. And a guy that opens a restaurant, not a 10 foot by 10 foot stand, said he's going to put him out of business. Tom said it shook him up. Next day, he goes to Golden State Meat. He's picking out the front quarter chucks. He would stay there while they were deboning and grinding the meat because he wanted to make sure his customers got what he paid for. Because front quarter chucks is brisket, flat iron steak, ribeye, chuck roast, you know, really expensive cuts of meat. Yeah. And one day, the butchers are going a little different from their routine. And in fact, the butchers, nicknamed him Hamburger Harry, which I don't think he liked. I think it's pretty cool, but because of his passion for that. But they're setting aside these lower cost cuts of beef on the table. Pretty soon, staff's getting pretty high. And Harry goes, who's that for? And they said, oh, you know that new steakhouse across the street? That's for them. And he goes, that's fantastic. He goes back and tells Tom, we're fine. The guy's in trouble. He doesn't even know. People try you out, but they come back for quality. And the guys think he's off. And sure enough, down the road, he's out of business in and out to picking up steam. So all those early decisions really when we didn't have a lot have kind of taken us to where we are today because the focus is the same. You just get the best. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the role supply chains play in menu in the menu? So we choose our vendors carefully and they have to meet certain criteria. Uh, in fact, I didn't know this until recently, but they can't be engaged in any human trafficking any human right violations, any unfair labor practices. Uh, we really, it takes a while to become a vendor of ours and we want the best in the, in the products uh, as well. Um, and I know recently Lindsay went through and did a really intricate level on, on uh, some of the different products, found that the chilies and the pickles had artificial yellow uh, number five and she replaced it with natural enzymes. The shakes, uh, she cut out the high fructose, high fructose corn syrup and replaced it with natural sugars. And I know we've got a new light lemonade that uses monk fruit as a sweetener. And so, so we go after quality in every, every single one. But the vendors, it takes, takes a while to get, get on with us. I remember one of our vendors makes french fry. Uh, 
makes fryers. And it took like six years and we kept working back and forth with them on, on different things. And once, once they are vendor, it's, it's, it's good for them. I know we have one vendor for cheese out in Logan, Utah, and they make, they make our real American cheese and it's made with a high melting point. So it melts at a higher temperature stuff. And we've had them for gosh, years and years. There's a store out there too. That's kind of neat. They had, we just built the store in Logan, Utah a year or so ago. And they had this flagpole on the property, this huge flagpole. And the mayor, Logan, asked our chief financial officer, hey, you've got customers asking if you're going to put an American flag on there. And he said, we'd love to. And the mayor goes, how big? And he goes, as big as we can get. So it's 30 feet wide and 60 feet long. It's 1,800 square feet of flag. So they took a drone shot of this, the flag, the store, and the mountains, and it just looks spectacular. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. I have been ordering animal-style hamburgers for, I think, as long as I can remember. And I know that the secret menu is something that is an obsession of people and then mm-hmm. discovering new things that are on the quote-unquote quote new things that are on the secret menu. How did the secret menu emerge and why is it not a part or explicit part of the actual physical menu? Yeah, we keep our menu simple and it just grew organically. It wasn't, I know some, some companies now try to do their own version of that. Really? Are there, are there other secret uh, menu competitors? That's what I've heard. And okay. we ours, our, one. Yeah, ours just grew uh, organically. In fact, the latest one is a whole grilled wrap. So there's an onion that you can have, you know, you can have regular onion, you can have grilled onion, you can have a whole grilled onion where they take the onion and they put it on the grill and they flip it and it, it's called a whole grilled onion. And then there's a thing called a flying Dutchman that's two meat and two cheese that's named after Lindsay's dad, Guy, his racing tag name was a flying Dutchman. He liked two meat and two cheese. And that's it. I mean, that's what you get. So what happens is a whole grill wrap goes one whole grilled on one side, the flying Dutchman in the center, and the other whole grilled on the top. And, and it just spread like wildfire. I mean, the, you know, the, social media and the, you know, there's just a word of mouth of it and other something else, but the, the animal burger started in 1963 and there's a guy named Theo Roberts that was cooking his burger late at night and you get tired of the same thing. So you, you mix it up and, and somebody from the lot that we used to call them animals that hung out on all out late at night and, you know, they'd honk their horn while you're trying to take orders. They blare their music, they get in fights, they trash a lot. They, they're friends of ours, but they acted like animals. So we, we nicknamed, and it was all guys in those days, but we, we lovingly nicknamed them animals. And you know, one of the guys from the lot asked Theo what he's making. And he said, a double-double grilled onion, mustard fried, add pickle, extra spread. So when you throw the meat down and you salt it with a salt-pepper mix, you put mustard on top of the patty. When you flip it, it fries the mustard in, in the patty. So they call it mustard fried. Our pickles are really good, too. Uh, but the grilled onion extra spread. And the guy said, that sounds amazing. Can you make me one? And he makes him one. He says, best burger I ever had. Comes back the next night and said, I forgot it. How, how do you order it? And they told him again, and, you know, double-double grilled onion, mustard fried, that pickle extra spread. I got it. And then comes back a few nights later. I forgot how to order it. And finally, they looked at him, and he was a guy from the lot. They said, just call an animal. You know it means every time. It can be a hamburger, cheeseburger, double-double. We'll have grilled onion, mustard fried, extra, mustard fried, extra spread, and pickle. And so that's how it got its name. 
the animal fry started 2002 at a little well, that's pretty recent i didn't realize yeah. that that was much more recent interesting yeah, at a little double lane drive in west covina mark martinez was a manager and he had a customer that wanted to order a grilled onion and, and melted cheese on his fry and asked if i could do it and i was his divisional manager and i said i don't know so i asked my boss who was a regional manager louis marchisano and he says yeah as long as he pays for the cheese sure well, it just started taking off like crazy. So the again, the word of mouth and the social media just just makes it crazy. Yeah, I was actually watching a LA based detective TV show. It's called Bosch, and there's a scene where they reference the animal fries, and oh, it's a mother daughter driving, and she's like, oh, "I could make this," and the daughter goes, "No, you can't." It's because it's it's something um, about the fries and the way they're made and how they interact with each other. Anyway, I, I could gush about animal products all day. I want to talk about the limit to the number of patties. Is there a limit to the number of patties I can get on my burger? There is. You can get four. So it used to be unlimited and you get these frat houses that would order a hundred by hundred or 150 by 150. And what and do you do? Was, do you just separate them into separate boxes? Or so what? there was boxes that you just leave, you attach all the, all the small boxes together and it looked awful. They, I remember the president at the time, Mark Taylor show, showing it at a divisional manager meeting and it just looked terrible. He said the biggest burger we're going to do is a four by four. So you can have four meats or cheese. Is it Extra cost, what's the extra cost per patty beyond so a double? They charge, double? I forget what it is, but they charge per patty and per cheese. Oh, okay. So you can get, you know, but say you don't want cheese, you just want, instead of a double meat, you want four meat, you can do that as well. Yeah. Well, yesterday I was recording this on February 5th, right, right following the torrential rain that has inundated us. And I, mean, I was coming from the kind of Santa Barbara area back to the Central Valley of California. So I was driving through the rain. And I stopped at In-N-Out in Kettleman City, around nice. the 5 Freeway. Yep. And I noticed when I went in the restaurant that there was a sign on the, on the, next to the cash registers that said, on a rainy day, we offer complimentary hot cocos. Do you anticipate there being other additions to the menu in the future? We used to have cocoa in the day. So when I started, we had cocoa and it wasn't... It's Ghirardelli's chocolate now, and we drank it a lot late at night. We didn't sell a lot of it. Lindsay brought it back and brought it back with Ghirardelli's chocolate and then decided to give it away to kids on rainy days or snow days in some of our places. And I was teaching a Sunday school class years ago when it first came out, and the kids were all excited. It's a rainy day. We get a free cocoa at In-N-Out. And I go, how many of you know about that? And every kid raised their hand. They all knew about it. Yeah. Wow. So, but kind of a neat thing that Lindsay, Lindsay did and just kind of, she's got little marshmallows you can put in there and, and yeah, it's Ghirardelli's chocolate is delicious. So it's mostly drinks that would in theory be an addition or a modification to the menu, but the food for, items will remain the yeah, same. Yeah. For years and years, when I started, we had Pepsi and then we went with Coke in, in 2000 uh, or 1992, Pepsi bought a place called Hot Now that they said they won't come out to our area, but they did. They opened the store in Fresno and one in, in Santa Ana, but uh, we switched to Pepsi. And then years and years of surveys saying Dr. Pepper, people wanted it. And that's my favorite drink. And, and finally we had Dr. Pepper in 96 and that was a big deal. And then recently we added cherry Coke and also light lemonade. So we had lemonade for many years, but had a light lemonade too. You know, I've recently I've been talking with proprietors of 
food establishments and just really anyone that has a business in California. And they talk about difficulties of finding quality employees. It seems like In-N-Out was kind of ahead of the trend in terms of paying more to your associates or employees in order to retain them, maybe prevent turnover. Can you talk about how the culture and premium pay for employees has evolved in in In-N-Out? Yeah, we were paying $4.35 an hour for our, our associates way back, gosh, I don't know, I'm trying to think what year it was, like 1990, maybe in that, in that area. And Rich decided to raise it to $6. He said he wanted to separate and take good care of the associates and, and make sure they, you know, they got uh, paid well. We, we spent a lot of money on training and it just hurts to lose somebody after, you know, just investing in them. So so Lindsay has carried carried that on, of course, but it's yeah, it's just really worked out well for us. Uh, our environment is fun to work at. If you've ever been on a sports team, that's what it feels like. Everybody's working together, working hard. We we hire good people. You know, that's just just a blast. And Lindsay, I will say, has taken it up a notch. Environment in the store has never been better. It's so good. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, just lots of fun to work. Uh, let's say I'm a teenager and I uh, put an application to apply to work at In-N-Out Burger. What, what's the process look like for me uh, from putting, giving you that application to I'm on the line? So that, that gets put up. They apply at a certain store and that shows up on the, on the manager's computer. If they're looking for somebody, they may call them. It helps when you've got a good reference from somebody that works at the store. Uh, that definitely helps. But the manager calls and they'll do an interview, a couple interviews, and then make the decision to hire. And then they, we have an onboarding uh, system that, that kind of kicks in on the, we call it ARO, our, our e-learning. You know, everything falls under the ARO. So, uh, so we call it ARO and they, they apply on that. Can you talk about the different steps within the employee system, kind of where you start out at, at the quote unquote bottom and then work your way through the various different kinds of jobs that are at a typical store? So you'll start at level one and then you'll get to level two, doing order taking and those type of things. And level three is is more on that and, and being able to order outside and, and you know hand out orders and work windows, those type of things. Four is, is French fries. And level five is, is a salad table. Level six is a cook. And then level seven is a cook, but also can uh, look after the store if the manager has a meeting or something. And then the entry level managers are fourth managers. And uh, then third managers, second managers are called assistant managers. Uh, they work opposite the store manager shifts. Um, and then uh, store manager. And then above that is divisional manager, regional manager, vice president. Do, do people always kind of move linearly through that? Or is there like, sometimes you have someone that's just very personable and that's just great at the cashier or something, and they just stay in there because that's what they're good at. Is that something that happens? Uh, every divisional manager, every regional manager all started at level one. So, yeah. so nobody's brought in, you know, some people say, well, I, I know how to cook in another place. And I go, well, you know, sometimes it's better not that you know how to cook because we're going to have to train you the way that we cook. That takes a while. Yeah. So no, nobody's cooking first day. Yeah. How many or what percentage of your staff make their careers at In-N-Out Burger, you know, at, at different levels? I know you mentioned that it's a great job when you're in college, but how many people uh, continue to work there? After yeah, we love like it that? when they stay. I'm not sure what the percentages are, but 
I think one of the interesting things, Jordan, is we set people up for success in life because we teach strong values like you take good care of the customer, you do the right thing, um, you go after quality, you work hard, all those values carry. And I've had countless, gosh, people come back and just thank me for helping them out and, and, and getting, giving them a good start in life. They say every, and I know when I left, all my decisions are based on what decisions I made at in Alberta and what I, what I learned from that. You know, you just, you know, I was in the insurance business and, and there's, the staff was upset because they couldn't get anybody to do death claims. And I said, well, isn't that the business we're in? I'm a little confused. And I said, yeah, but you don't make money for it. I said, I'll take them all. You know, those are our customers. I'll take, take care of them. So, yeah. you know, and that helped me in my career with that company for sure. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had to take my car in for a tune-up at my dealership and I had to wait for two hours. And so I had kind of wandered around looking for somewhere to sit. And there was another fast food restaurant, not In-N-Out Burger, that was really the only option for me. And I went in there, I had a book with me. And so I ordered a coffee and nice. kind of sat down and I sat down on a bench to read my book and drink my coffee. And I sat down directly on a pickle that was covered with ketchup. Oh. And I didn't realize it until I stood that I had attached a pickle to me. And wow. I'm, I'm bringing up this story because people kind of have stereotypes in their head of like fast food restaurants and cleanliness. And In-N-Out is never included in that conversation because it's always really clean when you're in any one of your stores. Can you talk about why cleanliness is so important for your business model? Yeah, we have a surprise visit every four weeks from what we call the QFC department. And that stands for quality, friendliness, and cleanliness. And also the divisional managers show up and rank the stores based on quality, friendliness, and cleanliness. We also have a mystery shopper that every four weeks they rate the store. So we measure everything. So all those get measured and stores, you know, you know exactly where you are in the rankings on quality, friendliness, and cleanliness. So yeah, super, super important. And, you know, from the very beginning, Harry says, time to lean, time to clean. You know, so we've got those type of models too. Yeah. I mean, it, it just feels so nice to not have to think about it. And it's always, there's always some person I feel like is waiting behind you, ready to clean up as you're getting out of your seat. Oh, that's good. We try real hard. I want to talk about the aesthetics of in and out I love that it, it kind of harkens back to a specific era. And I think in some ways it's fortunate the era that was chosen to be the aesthetic yeah. of the restaurants because it's so, it really hasn't lost its allure to people and the way that, you know, some of the iconography and color schemes of the 1980s maybe have lost their allure yeah. in some ways. I guess there's 80 part, 80s parties, so I don't, I don't, maybe I'm not, I don't know what I'm talking about. But what, what makes iconic restaurants or in and out so iconic in terms of restaurants and the look? Yeah, and the branding area? is important. You know, the signage, the way our stores look. Our cup's probably the most recognizable cup on the planet, I would think. But even the uniforms, we call them whites, and they used to be all white. You know, we had a white apron and you know, Harry wanted wanted everybody to, you know, white looks clean. And now we have the red aprons. We still call them whites. So time to get in your whites. But I, I know one time I, I talked to one of the vice presidents and I said, I think we should do baseball hats for the guys, you know, and, and I had a whole pricing thing. And he said, our customers like the hats the way they are. So, <laughs> so they will stay. One of the things that's a frustration for some people, especially family members I have that live on the, the wrong coast or the East coast, they, they like their Shake Shack, but they wish they had an in and out as well. Can you talk about 
the history of expansion in in and out and why it's kind of moved at a maybe some people might say slow but methodical pace yeah we want to be able to staff it properly but i know we just we just opened up in meridian idaho and that store opened up really busy we tried to open two stores the same day and it just didn't you know how with Real estate, sometimes it just doesn't work out, but, and I think it's kind of interesting. Lindsay dedicated that store to our customers, which I think is pretty cool. And she said, we're 75 years old because of our customers. And so, so if you go there, there's a plaque dedicated to the, to the customer, but uh, we want to grow at a pace that we can, you know, support. So I think that's, that's probably why I know this last year, they announced that we're going to build the warehouse in Tennessee and. Uh, we'll build it this year and open stores next year. And uh, we're going to open up in, oh gosh, right next to Texas. We'll open a store in New Mexico this 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 year. And uh, maybe, maybe another state, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Do you think, given that, given that just the isolation of Hawaii, that they'll ever have an In-N-Out burger? Well, Rich was big on Hawaii. In fact, he got married in Hawaii and had a car shipped over there to get to get married in Hawaii. And I think had he lived, we'd definitely be in Hawaii. But yeah, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Um, that would be amazing. I volunteer. That would be <laughs> if there was an In and Out Burger in Oahu. I, I'm sure it would be your busiest store, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> How you know? Sometimes even a smaller city can have multiple stores. How do you think about oversaturation? Like having too many stores in an area? Is there like a kind of a distance between stores that's kind of like a, a limit in terms of how close they can be to each other? Or do you not think in those terms? Well, some of our stores are really close to each other. I think we think in the terms of impacting stores that are that are too busy. Yeah. For example, we've got a store in National City that's just really, really busy. You know, we've opened stores around it to, to help make your customer experience better. Interesting. So it's it's more about the the busyness of a store than thinking about like a new market necessarily, or that just, it kind of depends. Depends. Sometimes a location will come up, but yeah, we definitely like to impact uh, stores. Yeah. Or, you Got know. it. What, I know a lot of other fast food models have opted for the franchise approach. Uh, why has In-N-Out not chosen to go that way? Boy, that was drilled into the kids that you just don't do that. Same with going public. It just changes the way the store is. And I'm just, I'm glad Lindsay wanted to run the store to begin with the stores and, and that she's kept, kept that same, same thing. She wants to be true to what her grandparents wanted. Before we close with book recommendations, I want to hear what your in and out order is when you go to, into any restaurant. Okay. So I'll order a double single, which is two meat, one cheese. And I, I like it plain. I like the toasted bun. I like the taste of the meat. And every now and then I'll order a lettuce wrap. Um, and I, I thought now a thing is a tomato wrap, which I, I thought was ridiculous. And I tried one and they taste so good. Really? <laughs> yeah. So instead of two two pieces of lettuce, it's a tomato on one side, tomato on the other side of the, the burger. I was trying to visualize that. It feels kind of like a maybe, I guess you'd have to really keep it in the the wrap in order to not get your hands all. Yeah, it's messy, that tomato it's, it's messy but it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> and no fries for you? I do love our fries. Yeah. In fact, I had uh, my head fries today. They're, they're good. Sometimes I'll order them no salt, but I do like the fries. 
Uh, I'll tell you my order and then you can give me some feedback on it because when yeah. I tell people my order, they think it's kind of ridiculous. I, I don't do fries, but I do two single hamburgers because okay. I, because I, I get, sometimes I, I eat your burger and I, I get to the end of it because I, I tend to go kind of sequentially. So I'll have one thing. I don't eat them simultaneous. Uh-huh. And I got to the, I would get to the end of the burgers and I would just be dissatisfied because I wanted to keep I want because I, I bet the burger is the most important part for me more than the fries. Sure. And so I just started ordering two and people think I'm crazy. And so and my wife does the same thing. So when I go to In-N-Out, I order four burgers and then usually the person taking my order is like, do you want any fries or anything? (laughs) (laughs) Do you, is it, have you heard of someone that orders my order before where they just exclude everything else and just get as many burgers as they can stomach? I, I one, at one time, just kind of funny, funny story off, off the side. We had a bouncer at a bar down the street from uh, store number four in West Covina that came by at midnight. And he said, oh, I'll have four double doubles, but can you just kind of wait to cook them? And I'll just sit here and, and eat them and talk to you guys. And, and we weren't that busy. And I said, you can eat four double doubles. He said, I can eat more. I said, I'll buy you anything over four. <laughs> he ate 10 double doubles. Whoa. And every time he ordered another one, everybody in the stand cracked up because they know I'm paying for it. But, uh, no, I think that's awesome that you do that. When when you were telling me that, they reminded me of Tom Evans. Harry made a hamburger for himself and held it up to Tom just to show him. And he said, look at this. For 25 cents, you get a salad, you get meat, you get bread. You had 15 cents and you can have a fry and a dime. You can have a drink. So for 50 cents, you can have an entire meal. So that would be nice. Those were simple days. Hmm. Now, I didn't send you this question before, but I, I, I kind of wanted to give you a chance to reflect because this is a California history podcast. And I like to think mm-hmm. about how different aspects of culture say about what they say about the history of our state. What what do you think makes In-N-Out such a California iconic burger restaurant? Why? It's, you know, I know the palm trees are are kind of related to to in and out and there's a there's a cute story on 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 that but you know you'll see that like we've got a picture of elvis drinking out of one of our sweetheart cups that we had years ago so you know you see them every now and then in hollywood and stuff and but harry had a friend that owned a bunch of scissor restaurants and he said your buildings are plain they're white and i think we had around 13 stores at that time and he said you need some sort of symbol you know, to differentiate yourself from others. And Harry's favorite movie was It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, where a bunch of comedians of the day, the Three Stooges and others, were looking for a treasure under the W. And it was in Palos Verdes where it had cross palm trees and two going out. So it looked like a W, but X marks the spot on the treasure. And Harry said, well, I know it's my treasure. So so that's why the cross palm trees. And Lindsay likes us too. So we don't have all the stores, but most of the stores we do. Yeah. And I, I really do think, even though we're, you know, in and out is in a number of states now, whenever I'm in there, I feel like I'm in California. And I think that's, that's the, that's, I, I love that feeling, even if I'm in Vegas at the, the in and out there or, you know, in Arizona getting in an yeah. burger. So yeah, well, we were in California for a long time. Our 80th store was in Las Vegas. That was our first store out of state. So. Wow. Wow. So we spent a lot of time in California and still do. 
Well, I'm sure that store in Vegas is going to be bananas this next week. So oh my. Yeah, the, that poor sure. store manager there, I, I'll, for sure, yeah. I'll send a little word of, yeah. <laughs> across the border to him. Let's close with book recommendations. What are three books you'd uh, like to recommend to listeners? So we got to go with the in and outs of the in and out. And Lindsay did a really great job on the book. And one of my favorite books is How Full Is Your Bucket? And it's written by a grand, grandfather and a grandson. You know, Tom Rath and Donald Clifton, and his dad or his grandfather was the one of the first big ones on positive psychology. And he said, everybody walks around with a bucket. When it's full, you feel great. When it's empty, you feel lousy. Everybody also has a dipper. So you can dip in your bucket and fill somebody else's bucket up through kind words or deeds. And when you do that, the weird thing is your bucket gets filled up too. Or you can take from somebody's bucket, throwing kind words or deeds, and you diminish yourself. So you have a choice every day to fill buckets or not. It's choice will affect, and it's it's got some some statistics in it, you know, your longevity and your happiness. It's really a good book. It's got a thing called the Strengths Finder, which they spent millions of dollars on. It's a Gallup organization on putting together a test, and it gives you your five most dominant strengths out of, I think there's 32 strengths. And the thinking is you run with your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. So it's, 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 a, it's a tremendous book. And then I love The New Moment Manager. So it's a rewrite on the old book. And it's basically servant leadership. And I remember Lindsay, when she was first coming on board, say, saying servant leadership is a preferred style of management here at Mount Burger. And, and it's, a, it's a book definitely on servant leadership. It's good. Yeah, it, I, I enjoyed Lindsay's book. And I right before the interview, I picked out another book that actually came out in 2010. I think it's called Behind the Counter, In-N-Out Burger or something. Are you familiar with that one as well? Um, I am, yeah. Well, they didn't contact us when they when they wrote it. But, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. What's the what's the general view of uh, how that book? Uh, I, I think I think overall, it's there's some inaccuracies in it. But I think uh, from a customer standpoint, I think if they read it, um, I think they probably like it. Yeah. Well, but Tom, Lindsay's, Lindsay's is the real deal. And it's, yeah. Uh, it's really yeah. well done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely, I don't know what I was expecting when I started to read, on, started to read it, but uh, the way she pulls on your heartstrings as well is just, is wonderful and uh, really it's makes good. you fall in love with the restaurant and its history and her family yeah, in good. particular. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you doing with this with me, Tom. I love the restaurant. I'll keep ordering that same thing for probably <laughs> as awesome. long as I live. So I appreciate you awesome. taking the time. And yeah, I, I really learned a lot through this conversation. Great, Jordan. It was fun sharing with you. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by either giving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash historyofcalifornia. We'll see you next time.